Good morning, church. How y'all doing today? Well, today's uh, scripture is James 1, 22 to 27. In your pew Bible, that would be page 1011. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, wait, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion is that, that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the Word of God. Good morning, church. Glad that you found us this morning. As I prayed, it is no accident that you are here. God has a word for you, for me, for all of us. We are in the book of James, Real Wisdom, Real Faith. And today we're going to wrap up chapter one of the book of James. Here's the good news. Um, everything that James has said in chapter one, he's going to repeat. James 1 is sort of like an outline for the rest of the letter. So the big themes that we've already hit, like trials and temptations and wisdom and faith, and even some of the things we're going to talk about today, they're all going to be repeated. So if, you're, if it's your first time here, first time jumping into James, no worries. We're going we're gonna to hit a lot of these same themes again. This morning, we want to talk about moving from being to doing, from being to doing. Today, we kind of hit the heart of the letter, sort of the thesis sentence of the book of James, that we be not just hearers of the Word, but also doers. We might say that that is James' thesis sentence. It's the, it's the theme of the whole book. Don't just hear the Word of God, but do the Word of God. Faith without works is a dead faith, he's going to go on to say in a little bit. And so today we're going to take a look at these last few verses from chapter 1 and ask ourselves once again, what is real faith? What does faith look like? And, and we're going to ask ourselves corporately and individually, am I a hearer of the Word or am I a hearer and a doer of the Word? Am I a hearer only or do I hear and do the Word of God. And so to start, I have uh, three lessons this morning. We'll spend most of our time on lesson two, but lesson number one, let your being become your doing. Let your being become your doing. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Do any of you love to, you just love to be told what to do? Okay, okay. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got two crazy people over here, y'all. <laughs> they raise their hands. Um, nobody likes to be told what to do, at least not all the time. 
And so that, you know, when we read the Bible and it's, and it's these commands and it's this do this, do this, and a lot of you, that's how you see the Bible, right? It's just a bunch of to-dos or to-don'ts. And, and that can rub against us the wrong way. But here's the great truth of, of Christianity, of Jesus Christ. Kind of like Pastor Andrew prayed, God only asks us to do what He has already empowered us to do. God only asks us to do what we already are. He asks us to be what we are. He asks birds to fly. He asks fish to swim. He asks humans to love and care for each other. Why? Because He wants to press us down with His thumb? No, because that's what we're meant to do. So all the commands in Scripture are commands that are basically God just saying, hey, be what you are. Here's how. Here's how to do it. God only asks us to do what He has empowered us to do. So James has, James has already said this to us back in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. He, said, he says this, of His own will, God, of, of God's own will, He brought us forth from the word of truth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. That is... God's statement to us about our position. God brought us forth. God implanted the word of truth. Verse 21, God has made you alive. Christian, you are born again. Christian, you are new. Christian, you have everything inside of you that you need in order to do everything that God asks you to do. You have everything you need to do everything that God asks you to do. That is the gospel truth, isn't it? And so when, when the Bible says, do, do, do these things, obey, obey the word, be a doer of the word, it's basically saying, live from what you already are. Live from your transformed heart. And this is why James, in our text today, he's going to call it the law of liberty. Did you catch that? The law of liberty. That's an oxymoron. How can a law be liberty? How can a law, aren't, aren't laws just supposed to like bind us and keep us from freedom? Or, or is it possible that God's law, God's word actually is freedom? And the answer is yes, that's the answer. God's law, God's word to us is freedom. The law of liberty. How is that possible, Brady? Because as Jeremiah 31 tells us about the new covenant, the new covenant is God's law written on our hearts. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, my word within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Christian, listen to me. Do you know that you have a new heart? Did you know that you actually have a heart that wants to obey God? In Romans 6, Paul will say, you now obey from the heart. That's what he says to them. Because you have died to sin and are alive to God, you now obey from the heart. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you say, I have no desire in my heart whatsoever to obey God, then you're probably not a Christian. You're probably not a Christian. 
If you say, well, Brady, I sometimes want to obey God from the heart, and sometimes I don't, okay, then you're probably a normal Christian, right? Because there are other forces still inside of us besides the new heart. We also have what Paul calls the flesh and indwelling sin, and so we have this battle, don't we? And so we, have a, so we need a law. Because of that battle, we still need a law, a law to tell us what does it look like to love? What does it look like to care? What does it look like to, to su- support each other? But it's a law from freedom. You see, God's not trying to manipulate you. He gives you freedom so that you obey Him from faith. And even more importantly, let's just go, let's ratchet down one, peel away one layer deeper. Our law is a person in a very real way. Jesus is our law, isn't He? Jesus, our law is now a life. It's the life of Jesus. So Jesus is our standard. He's our standard that we need to get to. We need to attain to Christ. But that, that, that's not good news the way I just said it, is it? Because you see, I'm climbing the ladder to be like Jesus. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Jesus has connected his life to you so that guess where you are on the ladder? Right there with him. Right there with him. That's what the good news says. That's what the gospel says, that you are so united to Christ that all of his righteousness is yours. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He did everything right, didn't he? Never sinned, never, never broke the law. And then Jesus actually suffered on the cross. He suffered the curse of the law. So he did everything that you're supposed to do, and he took every punishment that you deserve to have at the cross. And then guess what he did with that? He shared it with you. He said, I'm going to give that to you. You get my A+. You get my perfect score. You get my standing before God. When, when a Christian stands in judgment before God on judgment day, they are scored on Jesus' score. Amen. And so now, we're not attaining to Christ's righteousness. We have Christ's righteousness. So now the law becomes liberty. Do you see it? The law is now freedom. The law is now freedom for me to start obeying the law because I'm not terrified of the law anymore. The law can't condemn me. The law can't hold me down. I I won't stand in front of God and God will say, okay, Brady, here's the 75 million ways you broke the law. He's not going to say that. And because he's not going to say that, now when I read the law, I'm not afraid of it, am I? It's there for my good. Let me ask you this morning, are you still terrified of the law? Do you still see God and His Word as this thing that God's using to just beat you up and keep you down, to condemn you, to shame you, to guilt you? I get it. Churches do that. Churches do that. A lot of you have been shamed and guilted by a church in your life, haven't you? But I'm here to tell you that through Jesus Christ, that is not God's use of the law anymore. His law is liberty. His law is freedom. Today, will you turn from trying to keep the law on your own, climb the ladder, climb the ladder of your own goodness, climb the ladder of your own righteousness? Will you repent of that? Will you turn from that today and just look at Christ, look at His cross and say, will you please just give me your righteousness? And when you do that, that's, that's how you become a Christian. Have you done that? Will you do that? 
I pray that you will. Number two, number two, let your hearing of the word become obedience to the word. So again, the, the word is now liberty for us. It's not guilt. It's not discouragement. It's not legalism. It's liberty. It's a mirror. Tyler, will you grab my mirror? I got a big old mirror that I brought. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Come on, come on now. In fact, I, see, I don't see any hands going. Come on. Every single one of us looked in a mirror this morning. Anyway, please tell me you looked in a mirror this morning. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> when I look in the mirror, you know what I do every time I look in the mirror? That's what I do. That's what I do every single time. Every single time I look in the mirror. That's what I do. Not really. None of us do that every single time, do we? Usually we look in the mirror and we're like, what is happening? <laughs> How is that my face? <laughs> How do I look like that? <laughs> That's what we do when we look in a mirror. The, the Word of God is a mirror. James says that um, he compares looking in the Word to looking in a mirror. And back then in James' day, people didn't have big, beautiful, gaudy mirrors like this, <laughs> did they? They had little bronze or copper mirrors. They weren't really good. And most people didn't even own a mirror. You had to be pretty rich to own a mirror. And so to, to really get anything out of a mirror back in James' day, you had to look. So he uses this language. You look intently in the mirror. It's because you had to really get into it, right? Sometimes, sometimes when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing some maintenance, right? <laughs> I'm doing a little maintenance, Sometimes I got to get like right up in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Anybody relate to that? Once you hit 50, you got all kinds of stuff happening. <laughs> you got all kinds of stuff happening. And it's like, I got to do a little maintenance. So you're doing that. You're up in it. You're looking at it. You are looking intently in this mirror. Now, what does a mirror do? A mirror does two things. It reveals problems and it reveals potential. It reveals problems and potential. I can use the mirror, and I can say, oh, no, like I looked in the mirror this morning, and I noticed that my collar was, you know, kind of crinkly and not ironed, and guess what I did? I wore the shirt anyway. <laughs> I, I was like, I do not have time <laughs> to be ironing this shirt. So I just put it on. I was like, you know what? Nobody's going to notice. So I walked away, just like James said. I looked in the mirror, I saw the problem, and I moved on with my life. Sometimes we can look in the mirror and we can say, oh, this could be better. Oh, I could, I could add a tie. I could add a tie to my outfit. Would this tie match? Oh, that would look good. Wouldn't that look good? That would have looked good if I had done that, but I don't really like ties, so some of you are saying, you should have worn a tie, Brady. The mirror reveals problems, and it also shows us potential. Hey, here's how, you could, here's how it could be better. Here's how it could be better. So, the Word of God, what does, what does it do? It reveals the problem, and it reveals the potential. What do we always say about the gospel? The gospel reveals that I'm wicked, but I am also loved. 
The Word of God reveals that, uh, that I got sin. It points out the smudges and the crinkles and, and the stuff in your teeth. It points out all those things in your soul, but it also points out the potential. It's a mirror. James warns us about self-deception. Again, he's going to use this concept of don't be deceived twice in this section. Don't be deceived. When you walk away, you are a de- you're deceiving yourselves. Okay, here's deception number one. Deception number one is I look in the mirror, there's clearly a problem, and I go, eh, I'm fine, and I walk away. That's deception number one. We, listen, we have a tendency to always think we're better than we actually are. We think we have an insecurity problem, right, that most of us struggle with insecurity. Actually, most psychological studies reveal the opposite. Most of us struggle with superiority. Most of us think, eh, I, I would never do that. I would never have that problem. I'm better than them. I'm better than you. I'm better. And, and we fill up our minds with all kinds of ways to show that we are good and righteous. We think we're better than we are. One of the things that we can do to think that we're okay as concerns the Word of God when we're not is that we can say, because I'm spending so much time in the Word of God, Therefore, I am okay. But you're not actually doing the Word of God. I have, Brady, I have devotions every day. I light incense. I play soft music. Brady, I spend hours studying the Word of God. Brady, I read through the Bible in a year. It took me three years, but I read through the Bible in a year. Okay, great. That's what we call mechanical growth. You're doing things, you're doing actions, but are, like James says, is it changing how you talk? Is it changing how you care about people? Is it making you holy? Because I've been, I've been to a talk, I, w- I went to a talk years ago where the guy stood up and talked all about his quiet time with the Lord, literally, I made a joke, but literally burning incense and, and soft music and how he has these wonderful times with the Lord. And then as he proceeded in his talk, he spent the whole time just ripping other Christians apart. It's like, well, well what's happening in your quiet time? You're not becoming loving. You're clearly becoming more judgmental. That's deception. You are deceived. Another way that we can be deceived in regards to the Word of God is the deception of good intentions. The deception of, I know what to do. I'm going to do that. And you never do it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, isn't it? Intentions are not obedience. Conviction is not obedience. How many of you have been in a sermon, felt convicted, and then, and then went to lunch and forgot it? Forgot the conviction, right? How many of you have been convicted by your Bible study in your, in your prayer time, and then you pulled out your phone and started scrolling for a half hour? What, where'd the conviction go? Where'd the good intention go? 
gone. Another way we can be deceived, remember what the mirror does. The mirror shows me the problem and it shows me the potential. We can fail to see our gospel potential in the Word, can't we? We can fail to see how we're wicked, but we can also fail to see how we're loved by the Word of God. When it's not a law of liberty, when it's just law without the liberty, the law becomes something that we look at, the Word of God becomes something that we look at and go, I can never be that. God can never use me. That's not for me. That's for the pastors. That's not for me. That's for the missionaries. That's for the really holy and spiritual types. And so we forget that the, what the Bible is saying to us is, you can do this. The commands wouldn't be there if we weren't able to do them. You can do it. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're going to always get it right. What I'm saying is, by the grace of God and the indwelling life of Christ, by the new heart, you can actually do the, the three big things James is about to tell us to do. It's possible. You can do it. And we fail to see that. Another warning he gives in this passage in verse 24, he, he talks about how we forget. We look at ourselves. We look at ourselves in the mirror. Oh no, oh, my collar is crinkled and wrinkled. Oh well, and we forget. We walk away and we forget. Like I just said, how many times have we come to church? How many times have we gone to, gone to the, the Sunday school class, the Bible study? You, you know, I, I dare say, I don't, this is going to sound terrible, but I think actually one of our problems in our society today is that maybe we're listening to too many Bible-y things. Am I allowed to say that? Like, I go to church and I hear Brady preach, Mark preach, and then on Sunday afternoon, I listen to all these other pastors online, and then on Monday, I listen to the podcast, and then on Tuesday, I read Christianity Today, and then on Wednesday, I'm doing this, and you're so flooded with Bible information that you're not actually practicing any of it. And you're deceived into thinking that because you spend hours and hours a week listening to the Bible, that somehow that's making you holy and right. This is why at Grace we say, look, come to church, hear a sermon, join a small group, talk about the same sermon. Because when I go to my small group on Tuesday night, guess what I'm forced to do? Remember. Remember the sermon. Remember the passage. When you go to your small group on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday morning or whenever it is, what are you being asked to do? Remember to not forget. Don't forget. Remember it. God's law is a mirror. Okay, so what is God's law? What is God's law? God's law is love. God's law is love, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, <clears throat> and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our, that's our mission statement here at Grace. We glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ who, who passionately love God and love people. Amen? That's God's law. God's law is to love. James is going to give us three subcategories for how to love. He's going to say, number one, bridle your tongue. Control your tongue. Control your speech. Number two, care for others. Visit the widow and the orphan 
in their affliction. And number three, personal holiness. Keep yourself unstained from the world, verses 26 and 27. Controlled speech, care ministry, personal holiness. These are three ways that we love, according to James. Three ways that we love. Why, why these three things? Number one, because they're required by God. Okay, these are not options. These are not options. These aren't nice add-ons. A church, a church like Grace Baptist Church, a local church like Grace Baptist Church, does not get to pick and choose if we take care of widows and orphans. We do not get to pick and choose if we help the needy. That's, we, don't get to, we don't get to decide if or not. We might get to decide how, right? We can decide how we do that, but we do not get to decide if we do it. We are told to do it. We are required by God to do it. In Leviticus 19.16, God says this to his people, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Bridle your tongue, people. Stop slandering. Stop gossiping. Stop discouraging. Stop complaining. Bridle your tongue. If you believe the gospel, the gospel should help you to be able to bridle your tongue. Verse 19, verse 16. You know what 19, verse 18 says? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, how do we love our neighbor as ourself, Moses? Stop slandering. Jesus repeated it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Jesus, how do I love my neighbor as myself? Okay, here's one. Stop saying, you fool. Stop hating. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Stop going around saying, you fool, because that person is in danger of hellfire. Why? Because it reveals a heart. It reveals a heart that it isn't trusting God. If I'm trusting God, do I need to slander you? No. Second, care ministry. Let's look at Jeremiah 7. I could have, uh, there's 10, 12, 15 passages that say this same thing. Jeremiah 7. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever." Okay, Israelites, you want to stay in your land? You want to avoid deportation? You want to avoid exile? You want to avoid slavery? Here's what you do. Take care of the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. If you do that, you'll keep your land. They didn't do it, did they? They didn't do it. They lost their land. God is requiring this of us, and He's been requiring it of us for thousands of years. Do not, Zechariah 7, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. God requires this of us, that we take care of the marginalized in our society. Why? Because it's love. Because that's how you love people. 
I was talking on the phone to one of our widows this week, and she told me this story. She said, a couple days ago, the such-and-such family came to my house, and they brought their children, and they weeded out all my flower beds, and they picked up all my sticks in my yard, and they did all these things around her house. I had no idea that that family was doing that for that widow. Church, did you know that you're allowed to love and help widows without my permission? (laughs) Did you know that? Did you know that we don't have to have a big program? We don't have to have a Grace Gives weekend before you're allowed to go cut someone's grass or take food to the food pantry or give money to a homeless person in Bowie. Did you know that? Did you know that the only person you need to listen to on this is Jesus? I hope you know that. (laughs) I hope you know that. You do not ever have to ask our permission to obey in this way. And then personal holiness. All throughout Leviticus, it says, be holy for I am holy. Holy, and and how is holiness loving? Because what is holiness? Holiness is being separated, being set apart for service. In the tabernacle or the temple, something was holy, a cup was holy, a bowl was holy, because God said, use that cup for my service. Use that bowl for my, it's like every other cup and bowl, isn't it? Nothing special about the cup and the bowl until God says, it's holy. Once he says it's holy, it's used for God. When you are declared by God to be holy, he's saying, you are set apart to serve me, not yourself. You are not set apart to be selfish. You are not set apart to seek your own way. You are set apart in holiness in order to love and care for others. So why do we want to be sexually holy, for example? Why do we want to be sexually pure? Because, because God's some big prude up in heaven. He's some, some cosmic Puritan who can't handle the concept of people having sex. No, because when we go outside the law of liberty, when we go outside God's law on sexuality, we stop serving and we start being selfish, don't we? And I won't, I won't, I'm not going to keep going on that. I could talk about that all day. But that's true of all, so many things where God is ask, asking us to be pure. These three things, speech, caring, holiness, these reflect the heart of God, don't they? They reflect the heart of God. Listen, if you, if you have trouble with, I, you know... Poor people, I can't help poor people. You know, you know, Brady, they're only in that spot because of their own addictions and their own bad mistakes and their own personal issues. Look, if that's your attitude, I'm sorry. How were you saved? How, how, how did you get saved with an attitude like that? Didn't Jesus save you out of your own personal issues? Out of your own addiction to self? Out of your own poverty of spirit? Help somebody. Help somebody. If you believe that God is a God who helped you spiritually 
and has helped you physically, let's just be honest, then help somebody. James says, if you do these things, you will be blessed in your doing. You will be blessed in your doing. Verse 25, he who looks into the law of liberty and becomes a doer, blessed in your doing. Notice it does not say blessed for your doing. We don't earn God's blessing by being good and nice and kind, do we? But being good and nice and kind is in itself the blessing, isn't it? How many of you have ever been blessed by simply helping somebody, sharing anonymously? Everybody's hands should go up, right? We've all felt that. I did something for someone and it felt right. It felt good. You know why? Because that's what you were created to do. (laughs) You're finally being a human. You're finally being what God made you to be when you do these things. You're blessed in your doing. You say, you say, Brady, I, I do these things, and I don't feel, the word ha- blessed just means happy. I do things, Brady, and I don't feel happy. So I'm not going to do anymore, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. If I don't feel good about doing things, then I shouldn't do them, right? You know what my answer is? No, keep doing them. <laughs> keep doing them. Because you know why? First thing, because God requires it. Because <laughs> God requires it. So do it. But guess what? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. When you do the right thing, even when you don't feel like doing the right thing, what often happens? The feelings follow, don't they? The feelings follow. When I do the right thing, when I, when I care for somebody, when I really get into somebody's life, more than just the casual, like, dropping five dollars in, in the person's hat or whatever, eh, that's good, but you're not really in their life. I'm talking about find somebody in need in this church, in this community, get into their life, a neighbor, whatever, one of the kids in your class, get into their life. And when you do that, guess what starts to happen? You find that you actually start to love that person, don't you? And listen, if the feelings still aren't there, we love anyway. We love anyway because it's not about feelings. It's about humility. It's about a response to the gospel. But for those of you that are like me, and I will confess, it is hard for me to to have the feelings of wanting to do good and be merciful. Mercy is not my spiritual gift. Some of you it is. For some of you, mercy is literally your spiritual gift. You, you love deeply. You care deeply. You, you know, you're giving your world away for people. You're giving the shirt off your back for people. Praise God. Praise God for people like that in the church, right? The rest of us need to learn from those people. But look, if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't always feel like that, number three, Point number three, I want to encourage you to look into the mirror of Christ. You know, James James tells us to look into the mirror of the Word. Look into the mirror of the Word. I see the problem. I see the potential. I see the problem. I see the potential. But don't make this all about yourself. There's, There's one other place in the New Testament where the Bible tells us to look in a mirror. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 
Now, in most versions, they leave out the mirror part, which is kind of sad. So, I think this is, I think what's up on the screen, I think this is the New American Standard Version. Because in the New American Standard Version, they translated it word for word literal, and they left in the mirror. And it says this, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. You say, Brady, how? how I, you say I have the new heart. I don't always feel that. I don't always feel like I want to obey. I don't always feel like I love people, like I'm merciful. I don't always feel like I want to help the widow, the orphan, the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the sojourner. I have a hard time seeing that and finding that in my heart. Okay, here's what you need to do. Stare into the mirror of Christ. Stare into the mirror of Christ. We with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Church, Christian, everybody, where do we see the glory of the Lord most vividly displayed? In the cross. Paul's using Exodus as his backdrop. In the book of Exodus, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. They're about to get crushed by God. It's right after that whole golden calf thing. Remember that? Golden calf, and they sin wretchedly against God, and God's going to crush them all. And, And Moses prays, Lord, show me your glory. God takes him up on the mountain. He shows him his physical glory, but also as God is passing by Moses, this is Exodus 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgiving sins to the thousands, punishing sins to the threes and the fours. What is the Lord's glory? The Lord's glory is the place where he punishes every sin and he forgives every sin at the same time. And church, there's only one place where that happened, isn't there? There's only one time in human history where every sin was punished and every Every sin was punished and, and every sin forgiven at the same time, and it's the cross. It's the cross. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. At the cross, law and liberty collided, didn't they? They crashed into each other. The law put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus' liberty, his freedom, put him on the cross at the same time, didn't it? And as a result, now God's law is our liberty through Jesus Christ. And listen, Christian, Paul's language in 2 Corinthians is looking as in a mirror. That word looking is to, to gaze deeply. Some translate it contemplate. To gaze, it's just like James James says, look intently. 
Look deeply. Get up in there. Get up in there with Jesus. Get up in there with Jesus. Look at him intently. Look at his, look at his work on the cross for you, his love, his forgiveness, his acceptance. And the more you gaze at that, the more it takes hold of that new heart inside of you, the more you'll be able to look at everybody else and say, I want to do for them what Jesus has done for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have brought us forth. You have given us new life, a new heart. You've given us your word. It is, it is truly a law of liberty. It binds us by, by your love. We are bound by it. We are bound to it. We're bound our hearts to yours, two hearts that beat as one. God, this law is not to crush us, condemn us, manipulate us, trick us. This law is for our good. <clears throat> as we see in Jesus freedom, faith, liberty, God, allow it to overwhelm us, to overwhelm our hearts so that we can be doers of the word, doers of Christ, doers of the spirit, and not hearers only. God, for anybody who's still sitting here this morning and chasing after the law of slavery, the law of bondage, trying to earn their way, or maybe just trying to be a law unto themselves, I'll do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. God, I pray for that heart this morning, that they would repent, that they would turn, that they would run to you, Jesus, and find in you a perfect law, a law that when we look at intently, we see it's a law that's already changed us, a law that makes us into what we were meant to be all along. Jesus, thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.